Hello and welcome to The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi, read by your host, me, Eli. Chapter 13, The Inn of the Red Lobster. Cat and fox and marionette walked and walked and walked. At last, toward evening, dead tired, they came to the Inn of the Red Lobster. Let us stop here for a while, said the fox to eat a bite and rest for a few hours. At midnight, we'll start out again, for at dawn tomorrow, we must be at the Field of Wonders. They went into the inn, and all three sat down at the same table. However, not one of them was very hungry. The poor cat felt very weak, and he was able to eat only 35 mullets with tomato sauce and four portions of tripe with cheese. Moreover, as he was so in need of strength, he had to have four more helpings of butter and cheese. The fox, after a great deal of coaxing, tried his best to eat a little. The doctor had put him on a diet, and he had to be satisfied with a small hare dressed with a dozen young and tender spring chickens. After the hare, he ordered some partridges, a few pheasants, a couple of rabbits, and a dozen frogs and lizards. That was all. He felt ill, he said, and could not eat another bite. Pinocchio ate least of all. He asked for a bite of bread and a few nuts, and then hardly touched them. The poor fellow, with his mind on the field of wonders, was suffering from a gold piece indigestion. Supper over, the fox said to the innkeeper, Give us two good rooms, one for Mr. Pinocchio and the other for me and my friend. Before starting out, we'll take a little nap. Remember to call us at midnight sharp, for we must continue on our journey. Yes, sir, said the innkeeper, winking in a knowing way at the fox and the cat as if to say, I understand. As soon as Pinocchio was in bed, he fell fast asleep and he began to dream. He dreamed he was in the middle of a field. The field was full of vines, heavy with grapes. The grapes were no other than gold coins, which tinkled merrily as they swayed in the wind. They seemed to say, let him who wants us take us. Just as Pinocchio stretched out his hand to take a handful of them, he was awakened by three loud knocks at the door. It was the innkeeper who had come to tell him that midnight had struck. Are my friends ready? The marionette asked. Indeed, yes. They went two hours ago. Why in such a hurry? Unfortunately, the cat received a telegram which said that his firstborn was suffering from chillblains and was on the point of death. He could not even wait to say goodbye. Did they pay for supper? How could they do such a thing? Being people of great refinement, they did not want to offend you so deeply as to not allow you the honor of paying the bill. I want to go on. The road is too dangerous. I want to go on. Remember that boys who insist on having their own way sooner or later come to grief. The same nonsense. Goodbye, Cricket. Good night, Pinocchio, and may heaven preserve you from the assassins. There was silence for a minute, 
and the light of the talking cricket disappeared suddenly, just as if someone had snuffed it out. Once again, the road was plunged in darkness. Chapter 14 Pinocchio, not having listened to the good advice of the talking cricket, falls into the hands of the assassins. Dear, oh dear, when I come to think of it, said the marionette to himself as he once more set out on his journey, we boys really are very unlucky. Everybody scolds us, everybody gives us advice, everybody warns us. If we were to allow it, everyone would try to be father and mother to us. Everyone, even the talking cricket. Take me, for example. Just because I would not listen to that bothersome cricket, who knows how many misfortunes may be awaiting me. Assassins indeed. At least I have never believed in them, nor ever will. To speak sensibly, I think assassins have been invented by fathers and mothers to frighten children who want to run away at night. And then, even if I were to meet them on the road, what matter? I'll just run up to them and say, Well, signori, what do you want? Remember that you can't fool with me. Run along and mind your business. At such a speech, I can almost see those poor fellows running like the wind. But in case they don't run away, I can always run myself. Pinocchio was not given time to argue any longer, for he thought he heard a slight rustle among the leaves behind him. He turned to look, and behold, there in the darkness stood two big black shadows wrapped from head to foot in black sacks. The two figures leaped towards him as softly as if they were ghosts. Here they come, Pinocchio said to himself, and not knowing where to hide the gold pieces, he stuck all four of them under his tongue. He tried to run away, but hardly had he taken a step when he felt his arms grasped, and he heard two horrible deep voices say to him, Your money or your life! On account of all the gold pieces in his mouth, Pinocchio could not say a word, so he tried with head and hands and body to show as best he could that he was only a poor marionette without a penny in his pocket. Come, come, less nonsense, and out with your money, cried the two thieves in threatening voices. Once more, Pinocchio's head and hands said, I haven't a penny. Out with that money or you're a dead man, said the taller of the two assassins. Dead man, repeated the other. And after having killed you, we will kill your father also. Your father also. No, 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 not my father, cried Pinocchio, wild with terror. But as he screamed, the gold pieces tinkled together in his mouth. Ah, you rascal, so that's the game. You have the money hidden under your tongue. Out with it. But Pinocchio was stubborn as ever. Are you deaf? Wait, young man. We'll get it from you in a twinkling. One of them grabbed the marionette by the nose, the other by the chin, and they pulled him unmercifully from side to side in order to make him open his mouth. All was of no use. The marionette's lips might as well have been nailed together. They would not open. In desperation, the smaller of the two assassins 
pulled out a long knife from his pocket and tried to pry Pinocchio's mouth open with it. Quick as a flash, the marionette sank his teeth deep into the assassin's hand, bit it off and spat it out. Fancy his surprise when he saw that it was not a hand, but a cat's paw. Encouraged by this first victory, he freed himself from the claws of his assailers and leaping over the bushes along the road, ran swiftly across the fields. His pursuers were after him at once like two dogs chasing a hare. After running seven miles or so, Pinocchio was well nigh exhausted. Seeing himself lost, he climbed up a giant pine tree and sat there to see what he could see. The assassins tried to climb also, but they slipped and fell. Far from giving up the chase, this only spurred them on. They gathered a bundle of wood, piled it up at the foot of the pine, and set fire to it. In a twinkling, the tree began to sputter and burn like a candle blown by the wind. Pinocchio saw the flames climb higher and higher. Not wishing to end his days as a roasted marionette, he jumped quickly to the ground, and off he went, the assassins close to him as before. Dawn was breaking when, without any warning whatsoever, Pinocchio found his path barred by a deep pool full of water the color of muddy coffee. What was there to do? With a one, two, three, he jumped clear across it. The assassins jumped also, but not having measured their distance well, splash, they fell right into the middle of the pool. Pinocchio, who heard the splash and felt it too, cried out laughing, but never stopping in his race. A pleasant bath to you, signori. He thought they must be surely drowned and turned his head to see, but there were two somber figures still following him, though their black sacks were drenched and dripping with water.